0: Welcome back to episode number 138 of the NP Dude. This is Jeff the NP Dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all you guys that's out there listening right now. I want you to email me any concerns or problems you're having. Jeff at the npdude.com. That's the best way to get in touch with me. You can always send me a PM on Facebook and I will try to do my best. I always respond back, but I'll try to get back to you right away. So if you've got something that's going on and something that's bugging you, you gotta let us know. If it's bugging you, it better be bugging all of us because it's the only way we're gonna learn and get better. One One of the things I'm going to talk about today is, um, and I'm really only going to spend time on one thing today because it's pretty encompassing and it's an in depth discussion um, that should be had, and um, it's confusing as hell and it's a difficult topic. So we're going to we're gonna charge right into this thing and try to figure it out together. That's the consensus model, everybody. We want to review the consensus model. People, if you're students out there and you're like, man, I got a project on the consensus model, stay tuned. This is one that's going to help you understand what the consensus model is, um, what its goals were, and uh, where we are 10 years after it's been started. So we're going to try to f- pull some of this apart. Um, I'm going to try to do my very best to give an honest and fair account because I'm going to basically be reading portions of it to you and uh, interjecting my thoughts on that where we sit today. Now, it's always easier. Now, I want to be very careful when I say this because I really mean this. It's always easier to pick apart someone's work, including mine, after the fact. So, the work product that has been done on the consensus model, I am by no means belittling The hard work and effort of all of the people that took the time out of their life to put this thing together because there's a section in here that goes through the years leading up to it, the history of the making of this document, and it's a substantial amount of energy, time, and people's life, so I am not belittling that. So please don't take it that way. But what I do want to do is analyze this so that we as a group can determine, is this the way that we think we should be going from here forward? Is there a better way? Is this the best way? And we should all back it. I don't know yet. Let's go ahead and get into it. I've read it. I know where I'm going. But we're going to figure it out together, right? Okay. So I'm going to go page by page. Page one is title. Page two is, uh, you know, some the person that actually wrote it. It was uh, APR Consensus Work Group and the APR Joint Dialogue Group, which it describes who those groups are in detail in the uh, the second half of the document. Um, the development of this report was made by Gene Johnson, Ph.D. rn and Senior Associate Dean in Health Sciences at George Washington School of Medicine. And there's a lot of reference to George Washington being one of the, the leaders of this um, document. When you look at who the participants were, they seem to have been in a lot of it. So props to you guys for trying to make this a better world. Um, list of org- endorsing organizations. You go through, this is page three. Final report of the APRN Consensus Work Group and National Council of State Boards of Nursing, APRN Advisory Committee has been disseminated to participate or to participating organizations. The names of the endorsed, endorsing organizations will be added periodically. The following organizations have endorsed the consensus model for APRN regulation, and then it talks about lace, which is licensure accreditation certification, and education. And there's a ton of them in there. There's 48 endorsing organizations. So when people say over 40, that's true. When you look at the actual organizations, um, there's a good number of them that are not advanced practice oriented and have no real regulation or skin in the game, as I would say, to our organization. Okay, So one of those would be an example of, um, um, let's see here, the American Holistic Nurses Association. Maybe they they care what happens in the future with APRNs, but in reality they um, they aren't necessarily you know got some skin in this. They're specialty and there talks about specialties in the in the model, so we'll talk about that too. But a lot of them are redundant. So as another example would be um, the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners. Well, in here, there's also the American Academy of Nurse Practitioner Certifications Program. Well, the AANP Cert is part of AANP, so it's different people, but it's essentially a subset of the same organization. I'm not downplaying the number of role people that had a role in this and approved it, but I want people to understand that when say uh, when when people categorically say, "Well, over 40 organizations have adopted this," well, some of them really didn't necessarily have a, a skin in the game, and some of them. Are redundant, so take that for what it's worth. Um, and I looked up some of these because I was like, I never heard of the National Organization for Veterans Affairs (NOVA). That has nothing; it's all RNs and and LPNs. Um, but that's it's a neat organization. Maybe I'll join someday. You never know, right? Um, introduction. They go through an introduction here, and they talk. This is page five. I'm not going to go through every single word, but I'm going to skim through the things that I saw that was important. The state of what was happening, and we have to take ourselves back to about the late 1990s, <clears throat> and it goes through the history at the end of this. So it's a good read about the history of the organization of where we are, if you want to read through it. Some of it's dry, but it's, it gives it a good background. <clears throat> In 2000 and um, about 2003, the late 90s, but up through about 2003, there was no real formalized national um, organization as far as an organization I use with a low o a, a, a lowercase O. There's no grouping or how consistency between any of the jurisdictions with regard to how they were licensing APRNs. So something did need to happen. So I agree. What they did was they they recognized a the problem and they went after it. So total props. That's awesome. Um, what they're seeing here is that there was no uniform model of regulation for APRNs across the states. Each state independently determines the APRN legal scope of practice, the roles that are recognized and the criteria for entry into advanced practice and certification examinations accepted for entry level competency assessment. So this made this a nightmare for educators, I can imagine. Trying to trying to educate for 51 jurisdictions, with God only knows how many certification exams that were out there, in um, trying to be consistent between them, could have been. I mean, h- how do you do that? I-, I don't blame them for wanting some consistency. I agree. I would want it too. Okay, so that's that's the problem that they that this whole commission of all of these organizations getting together was to to, to uh, fix. Many nurses with advanced graduate nursing preparation practice in roles and specialties, um, for example, informatics, public health, education, all these other things that are not clinical based. Basically, they said, we're not going to deal with you guys. We want the people that touch patients. And that's what the scope of this document is relating to. It's for those that uh, focus on direct patient care. And that's in the middle of page five. Of the document, the model for APRN regulation is the product of substantial work conducted by the Advanced Practice Nurse Nursing Consensus Work Group and the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, or the NCSBN APRN Committee. And I, awesome. Thanks, guys. I'm not being a sarcastic jerk with that. I mean that. Um, while these groups began independent work, they kind of came at the end, and it goes through this in the end of the document and describes how there was two parallel uh, groups, and then they their goal was to not conflict each other, so they were trying to come up with a quote-unquote consensus. They were going to draft two different documents that didn't mirror each other but complemented each other. There was no negativity or, or direct um, fighting so to speak between the two they were gonna they were gonna complement each other and when they got to the end of the day they were like let's screw this let's just make one document and that's the consensus model that we're going through today okay all right there's a lot of redundancy in this document by the way so I'm going to warn you about that so if you read it you're going to be reading the same words over and over again especially when you see lace in here like a hundred thousand times and they explain it a hundred thousand times um, this document defines APRN practice and describes the APRN regulatory model, identifies titles. These are the goals. There's five of them. I numbered these. They weren't numbered this way. And then I kind of went through, found them in the document and kind of paired them in my mind. So this is how I work when I break a, a document apart. This document defines APRN practice and basically five five goals that they want to do. One is they want to describe APRN regulatory model for for. Boards of nursing, um, whether it is a, a statute or a regulation, um, they wanted to give guidance to those that could affect um, licensing. So that's the licensing component of LACE. Two, identify titles to be used because up until the the mid 2000s, you'd have, even today, there's confusion. You go to different states, they haven't adopted the consensus model language of APRN. And how does that fall into things? And I've seen posts on Facebook where people get pissed off about being called an APRN instead of an ARNP. Yeah. NP or whatever. I mean, it's it's like, okay. So somebody needed to pick one and I'm cool with it. It is what it is at this point. I'm an APRN. I'm happy. I'm proud of that. I'm good. I'm good with that nomenclature because that's what I grew up with and I don't care. Okay. Three defines specialty. And that's important because up until this point, there was all these little specialties that were out there, but they didn't necessarily have the foundational knowledge. They were really good at that specialty and they were advanced practiced as a as a nurse because they weren't just an RN. They were doing specialty work, but yet they were trying to squeak through the advanced practice um uh, world and getting licensed to do things that maybe they didn't have the full education, knowledge, training, and skill to do. And and I agree with that too, because that's a that's a scary place to be. So I'm so far I'm a hundred percent in line with everything they're saying. I'm on page five already, and I agree. Okay. Um Four goal, fourth goal, describes the emergence of new roles in population foci. Okay. So the not I'm gonna jump the gun a little bit and say it doesn't describe what those new roles are. It just describes how you need to be open minded and that the consensus model needs to be willing to adapt to new roles and new population foci or focuses. I like focuses. (laughs) Focusations is... I don't know. Making up words is great, right? Foci. It's a great word. Um, And the last one here is present strategy for implementation. Which they didn't even really talk about. They just said we disseminated it to the boards of nursing. I mean, so, I mean, that, that, that's the end of that one. So, in reality, there's only four, but they, they kind of went five and they didn't come back and reread their document to say, look, we, we didn't really present a good strategy. Now, maybe the committees did somewhere in their meeting minutes and they've got a great plan and that's how they're doing it, but it ain't in this document. Okay. All right. Overview of the APRN model regulation. I'm going to summarize this because it's confusing and I got notes everywhere on this page, okay? Basically, what it comes down to is there's four roles in the APRN. And there's a nice triangle shape that describes what they're trying to get to in this document. And it is on page, I want to say 11, 12, 13. Where are you, little buddy? It's back here somewhere. Page 14, top of page 14. And it shows a triangle, kind of like uh, Maslow hierarchy. It's the same concept. So they, I think they blatantly stole this from from Maslow's hierarchy. Um, the APRN rule, which is basically the four, the three common things to meet that APRN goal, is that you have pathophysiology one one class. This is what the requirement is according to the consensus model. You have one class in pathophysiology, one class in pharma, advanced pharmacology, and one class in assessment. Does that sound familiar? If you've been listening to my podcast, it sounds awful familiar to certain sets of standards that are published by the CCNE or AACN. Or I'm sorry, AACN. Jeez, O. Oh, P. The acronyms are killing me. It's worse than government, right? So the AACN's standards are kind of interwoven into this document. Um, the second level of the pyramid is the role. So now it's the role of what your APRN. Well, now you break it into the four different roles. So that's the the midwives, the nurse practitioners, the CNSs, which it gives a little guidance to what they are, but still doesn't help me. Uh, it doesn't seem like it should be its own thing. Um, and um, you've got your, your uh, CRNAs. So there's your four different roles, your midwives, your NPs, your CRNAs, and your CNSs. Then it goes to population above that. So you have to have, as a matter of the, 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 the consensus model, to be um, able for the educational component of LACE. LACE is licensor, licensure, education, credentialing. Uh, credentialing? I don't know. What is it? I just read it, darn it. I'm all over the place. Where's the Lace? Um, yeah, certification, not credentialing, sorry. Licensure, I knew it didn't feel right. Licensure, accreditation, certification, and education. So, the education component there, you have to have your three core classes, okay? And then you have to have um, a core that's picked or a role that's picked. Right. So you got your core competencies, your three classes, you've got your role. I'm going to be a CRNA. And then and then you have to have at least one population focus, which makes sense. Right. If I, I'm not trained to treat anyone, then what's the point of this? So you have to have one population focus or foci. Uh, and, and, and again, that, that tells me which category I'm going to be working in as far as population focus. And I hear this argument all the time, even in our Ohio Facebook group, that um, your scope of practice is based upon your, it's not the location, it's not inpatient, outpatient, it's not working in an oncology unit, it's not working in the ICU. It's with what your education is, what your licensure is, what your population focus is, all right, and that's what this document is trying to, to hammer out. It's, it's, a, it's a consensus of everybody that's in all these organizations trying to get this. And there's a graphic on page 10 that tries to answer this, but does more problems muddying the water on what that means. And yes, it's this confusing when you read it. Okay. So when you look at this document and you look at page 10, you'll see an APRN regulatory model. So you wonder why boards of nursing and you wonder why state legislators are not adopting this document it's because it is completely confusing and it is not helpful to them and they try to read it and it it's i'm i'm trying to find the good in this thing and promote it because i want to say yes let's all get behind it but it is so painful that it does not do its first intended purpose which is to get Regulatory agencies to buy into this common common goal. And I'm going to sidebar right now and go and talk about something I've talked about a number of times in the past. And that is the intent of a model, model code or model legislation. It is specific wording, verbatim, that the legislature or the boards can say, you know what, we're going to take pages 10 through 75 of this document that you're providing to us. We love everything about it and we're going to propose it as law. It is written as a law, not just generic guidelines. That's where this consensus model falls apart. If the goal was to convince regulators to adopt a code, this completely failed in its face. Completely. Because that is not at all what a model code should do. This is not a model code, period. A model code would say, according to the Ohio Revised Code Section 4367, whatever, I'm making these numbers up, .19 slash 2 subset Part A3 shall read this. And that's the model legislation you're proposing. Do you see what I'm doing? It needs to be that specific, guys. This is not a model code at all. And that's why I'm so frustrated with it, is that it was sold as that. It's so wishy-washy that no one in their right mind would even propose this as language anywhere. They would have to try to figure out, rewrite their own language. Why would they pick this stuff to work on if you're not even helping them by giving them the language you want them to incorporate into their legislation? Uh, Right? Okay. So this is not a model code by any stretch of the means, it's a theory, theoretical, guideline, soft, wishy-washy, you might as well throw a little bit of Orem in there, and, you know, whatever, right, I mean, that, that's what we're talking about here, this is just, it's not helpful so far, all right, I'm frustrated, I'm already frustrated, I want to, I want to buy into it, I really do, I want to be done with this, <laughs> I want to go practice, that's all I want to do, I don't want to have to fix this stuff, Apparently we need to fix it. And there's some smart people that did this. That's what's frustrating. These are our leaders. All right. Back to um, page six. Okay. I digress. So this is the overview of the, the regulation. Again, there's the four roles. You've got your CRNA, your CNM, your CNS, and your CNP. And then they've got six population foci. Family individual across the lifespan. So there's your FNP. Two, adult gerontology. Three, Pediatrics, four, neonatal, five, women's health or gender-related, and six, psych mental health. Those are the foci that they proposed. So they didn't at this time consider acute care versus outpatient family practice. That wasn't part of it, but that's turned into the biggest, biggest debate. Now, they do mention it down below here. Um, educational programs, including degree granting and postgraduate blah, 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 blah are accredited. Okay. Of course they have to be accredited. That makes sense, right? Even though the accreditation isn't being done well, it should be accredited. I agree. Um, APRN education consists of broad-based education, which includes the three graduate level courses and one being advanced physiology, pathophysiology, two health assessment, and three pharmacology, as well as appropriate clinical experiences, appropriate clinical experiences. There you go. That's what we're we're working on. All developing APRN education programs or tracks go through a pre-approval, pre-accreditation, and accreditation process prior to admitting students. They say that in this document, probably about 10 times. So that's part of that. That's part of the CCN getting there, and AACN getting their their um, their grips in there to say that you can't just enter in as a nurse program. You have to actually get go through them and so i don't know if that was to drum up business to go through the ccne to pay the dues or whether it was you know i know the stated purpose is going to be well we can't just have anybody teaching nurses how to be nurses I mean, that's i guess that's okay right individuals who have the appropriate education will sit for certification so now we're on to the certification component which is the uh um, the third part of lace when you have licensor uh accreditation certification right so certification is is going to be for fnp in my world it's um, AANP cert or you're going to use ancc those are our certifying bodies and it's different with midwives and it's different for um, um crnas and CNSs and all that good stuff and even acute care um you have to take one versus another it's not just as simple as that and psych it's all what ancc guys you psych people out there and the ANP doesn't have psych. I don't know if there's any other certifying bodies that are nationally recognized. Your state may recognize someone different, though. But why would you do that if you want to have interstate travel? Because that's one of the other stated goals, is to be able to move. Have everybody have the same language and the same consistent um, lace standards so that you could go from Minnesota to, to um, Mississippi and not have a problem, right? I like EMS. All right, individuals, we talked about that. Let's see here. Um, This is the language that you see over and over again. Individuals will be licensed as independent practitioners for practice at the level of one of the four APRN roles okay, which we talked about several times, within at least one of the six identified population foci, education, certification, and licensure of an individual must be congruent in terms with role and population. So that makes sense, right? You don't want somebody to go get um, a CRNA degree and then sit and take the FNP, AANP certification, and now they can practice as an FNP. That's not the goal here. The goal is that you're You're consistent between your education and your certification. And that makes sense. I'm okay with that. It'd be the same in engineering world where when I took my professional engineering license um, exam, if I was a civil engineer, which I was, I could take structural engineering. I could take water resources and I could do, what was the other one? Transportation. Those were the three areas of focus, the foci, right? Um, But I could not sit for chemical engineering. Even if I was competent to do so, I wasn't allowed to. So that just makes sense. Because you're getting that that depth of knowledge for um, credibility in the industry. And so I get that. It's a good call. In addition, specialties can provide depth in one's practice within the established population foci. So we'll talk about specialties here in a second. Education for a specialty can occur concurrently with APRN education required for licensure or through postgraduate education. But there's no legal authority in this document to force you to do that. So you have to look at the rules of your state and what your board has adopted. All right. And according to this document, they're recommending that not only is specialty education um, and certification um, available, but it is in fact not to be governed by the boards of nursing and should be governed and regulated by the organizations that do the certifying. And I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that. I don't think the board of nursing should have to say, you know, you're, you're not trained in something you you can't do that I, I think it should be more if you get the training knowledge and skill and you're competent to do so you should be allowed to do it I, that's my philosophy on life all right so that was interesting and, and that was good that they recognized that i thought that was a good component in addition the mechanism enhanced communication and transparency blah blah blah, blah, blah. so they need to be open and honest with you as as part of the lace which again is licensure, accreditation, certification, education. I'm doing that multiple times, so you guys that are doing this for school, you can, you can at least use the right words, right? I'm not telling you to you know, carbon copy what I'm saying, but you can take this, go to the document, and get a good fundamental understanding of what's going on. All right, APRN regulatory model, and I'm not going to go too much longer on this because a lot of the back part of this, I'm going to hit quick, but this one is the part that is probably the most significant to the practice of nurse practitioners. This model does not say, I saw in here one place and I can't even find it, that it specifically said acute care um, versus um, non-acute care. And it goes through the definitions of some of that. We'll see if we can catch it in here. I thought it was important. The definition of an APRN is, um, and you looked at a couple different languages from the ANA and the NCSBN and all that good stuff, and they basically said they were all very similar. So, this is the definition that they come up with um, address. Addresses responsibility and accountability for health promotion in the assessment, diagnosis, and management of patient problems, which includes the use uh, and pre- the use and prescription of pharmacological and non-pharmacological interventions. That's that's softball enough. I think it's fine. I don't have a problem with that. The definition of advanced practice registered nurse is, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that they go through. There's so- seven bullets. There's seven numbers listed, enumerated. Uh, they've got a graduate level education. They've passed certification. Um, they've advanced clinical knowledge and skills preparing um, for direct patient care, which has all kind of already been said. Um, in fact, all APRNs. Uh, is that a significant component of the education to practice focus on direct care of individuals. So part of their, and this is where I got hung up, and I put a big star next to it, was part of the education for APRNs is, is a large component or significant component, those are their words, not mine, of the education and practice focuses on direct care of individuals. And I don't think that we have enough of that in our current system. And that's part of the, the CNPC group that we're, we're trying to help with that, trying to increase some clinical hours and make it more clinically based. Because right now, doing DNP project, projects is not clinical. It is not clinical, it's not clinical, it's not clinical. And you can yell and scream at me all you want, but you, can, you have to be honest with yourself about that. It's just not clinical. Four, number four here is, uh, builds on the competency of your registered nurse by demonstrating a greater depth and breadth of knowledge than that as a registered nurse. So I think, according to this, the consensus model, even the consensus model agrees that you should have some nursing experience prior to um, becoming an advanced practice nurse. This is where part of that comes from. Now, am I using that as my, my sole evidence that you should have, to have some RN experience? I'm not. Do I think you have to do it to be successful? I don't think it is mandatory, but I also think... I know people that have no nursing or medical background. I could teach them the things they need to know in about three weeks, and they could go sit and take AANP and pass it. Does that make them competent to be able to go become a nurse? Or a nurse practitioner? It really doesn't. Um, I'm glad I got nursing experience. It it turned me away from CRNA and took me to FNP, which I am very happy with. Love what I do. So I, I think that that's part of this too. And, I, and I'm just weaving this into some of the things that we've talked about in the past and why it could be important. But th- this number four here says that it, it, it expands, it builds upon the competencies of that of an RN. You got to do the RN before you can actually do the APRN. And, and the consensus model agrees with that. So the, the reason that that's important too is that the people that put the consensus model together were educators. So at one point in time, they must have believed that getting experience as an RN was valuable, and then they changed for some reason. What was that reason? We know what the number is, right? You guys should all be screaming at your at your stereos right now in your car. You should be screaming. It's money. They want to get paid. They need they need to keep these universities afloat. And it's it, they're not bad people. They just they're put in a bad position. They got to keep the doors open, so they're willing to look the other way and compromise some of their standards. And one which is number four on page seven. Okay, five. Um, let's see who is educationally prepared to assume the responsibility. It's a bunch of fluff. Able to do your job, so you've been educated. You can do it. Yay. Six has clinical experience of sufficient depth and breadth to reflect the intended license. Again, that's in here twice. So now, not only is you know they need to be our ends, but they should also have significant clinical experience and sufficient depth and breadth to. To reflect the intended license, ah, I, I think I think we need more clinical hours to be able to say we we're doing that. And this is their words, not mine. Number seven, who's obtained license to practice as an APRN in one of the APRN roles. Remember those four roles, which is the CRNA, the CNM, the CNS, and CNPs. So you have to have the license as well. Okay. All right. Blah blah blah. Nothing important. One of the things they should be able to do is to, to be a, an APRN by definition is recognizing limits of knowledge and experience, planning for the management of situations beyond their expertise, and for consulting with referring patients to um, healthcare providers as appropriate, which is, that's what we do. That's cool. I'm okay with it. We we all do that. We should be willing to do that. And we all admit that. I don't know anybody in their right mind that says, you know what, I, I know that's beyond the scope of what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm going to do it anyways because I'm awesome. That doesn't happen. I've never seen anybody say something like that. But recognizing the limits is important. And I'm I'm not sure some of the people coming out of school right now are really doing that. All APRNs are educationally prepared to provide a scope of services across the wellness continuum to at least one of the population focus. Again, it's in there again. It's the same thing. However, the emphasis um, and implementation with each APRN role varies. So, yeah, no crap. So, CRNA is not a a, CNM. And a CNM is not a The nurse practitioner and vice versa and all that stuff. Now, CNS, I don't know how the hell they fit into this, but they go through definitions of each one of these areas and they talk about it. And I'm going to gloss over the ones that are not MPs because I'm not here to represent anesthesia and I'm not here for CNSs. I might talk about that one. Um, the services of care provided by APRN is, is not defined by setting, but rather by patient care needs. The continuum encompasses the range of health states for homeostasis, which is wellness, to a disruption of state of health, which is the basic needs and are not met or maintained or illness. That's the definition of illness. With health problems of varying acuity occurring along the continuum that must be prevented or resolved to maintain wellness or an optimal level of functioning. That's the world health definition from 2006. Although APRNs are educated, educationally prepared to provide care to patients across the health, wellness, illness continuum, the emphasis and how implemented with each APRN role varies. So this document focuses on the APRN roles and the differences, but it does not focus on the differences of the subtypes of the NP role. I'm going to skip anesthesia, I'm skipping midwives, I'm skipping special uh, CNS's, which it goes in and just basically says that CNS's their goal is to create environments through mentoring, so they basically work in the hospital and mentor people and help develop changes of systems and things like that, but they also get to diagnose and treat and all that stuff, similar to what an NP does CNP care along the wellness illness continuum is a dynamic process in which direct primary and a, and this is where I saw it, this is the only place I saw this Direct primary and acute care is provided across settings. CNPs and members of the health delivery system practicing autonomously in areas as diverse as family practice, pediatrics, internal medicine, geriatrics, and women's health. Doesn't say anything about acute care in here, by the way. NPs are prepared to diagnose, treat patients. Um, Yippee skippy. Both primary and acute care NPs provide initial, ongoing, comprehensive, and includes taking comprehensive histories, providing, so it goes through what we do, okay, treating, all that stuff, with acute and chronic illnesses and diseases. This includes ordering, doing a whole bunch of stuff, tests, medical equipment, making referrals, all that stuff. We do health promotion, disease prevention, health education, counseling, diagnosis, and management of acute and, and chronic illnesses, but it doesn't delineate or differentiate in this document, what an acute care NP does versus an F- FNP. And it certainly doesn't, doesn't get into adult Gero. It goes population focus, focus. So it's who you treat, but not when you treat them. So this document, you could drive 10 Mac trucks through because it's so loosey-goosey for interpretation, which is goes back to my logic of, why do we have model legislation, model rules that we're trying to propose that are so subject to interpretation that it's going to shoot us in the foot? If I was at this meeting, I would have raised my hand. I would have been the biggest pin in the ass and said, okay, where's the model code that we're proposing that we're going to hand to the legislator and hand to the board of, of nursing so that they can make this the way we want it? And, and I think I have the answer to that, why, why it didn't happen that way when we get to the very end. Okay, so if you go through this, this is page nine of the document, certified nurse practitioner section, just basically is all wishy-washy, gives zero guidance as to what the levels of different NPs should be, but yet everybody says they understand the consensus model and that, oh, we follow the consensus model, and we're doing, we're breaking up and making you get two post-masters certificates because of its population focus, and um, you're FNP, but you can't do acute care, but according to the consensus model, it doesn't tell you anything that you couldn't, as long as you're trained to do so. So the consensus model, and it's, it depends on your state board, right? If your state board has not incorporated the language from the consensus model, it's open for interpretation. So that doesn't help anybody. Vague statues are dangerous because they're always, always going to be retroactive. When there's a problem is when you'll find out about it and it'll be too late. You can't fix for that. You can't plan for the unknowns if you don't know what the, what they are, right? You just you just go do the best you can, and you're going to thwack them in the head with a tack hammer for doing the wrong thing. All right. Titling is the next section, and it basically is where I agree with this. We need to have common language for all, and it has to be a protected uh, title. All the professions other than um, nursing that I've been involved with also have title protection and licensing Um When you get your license, you get the title, you get to use the title, and no one else can do it. If they do, they can get fines, penalties, prison. I mean, it can be bad. It's fraud, right? So if I go running around telling people I'm um, a licensed hairstylist and I don't have a license to be a hairstylist, I can get penalties and thrown in jail. It's my next career. I'm going to be a hairstylist. All right. At a minimum, you must represent that you are an APRN, according to the consensus model, and then you can um, give the population focus, focus after that, which, again, you get to page 10, you get that wonderful graphic that shows nothing. It shows the bottom level of your, it's not a pyramid in this case, but it's your bottom level with your APRN roles, and then it goes to the different focus, which, again, it specifically states family Adult Gero, neonatal, pediatrics, women's, and psych has nothing to do about acute versus outpatient. So there's not hospital versus home. So according to the consensus model, that whole argument that everybody makes about all the consensus model applies to uh, whether it doesn't even say anything about that. But people use it as leverage because it's such a confusing document and it, it doesn't give any guidance on it. All right, so they repeat on page 10. They repeated the whole regulatory model again, and they give a bunch of footnotes that are redundant again. Broad-based education. So they go through the education. They talk about standards um, that the accreditation bodies are accredited by the U.S. Department of Education and the Council for Higher Education Accreditation, or CHIA. Cha chia They accredit our accreditors. So that's what they're saying. And so you can tell that CCNE... Um or AACN and the like were involved in this because they're trying to protect the accreditation process by putting layers of things in place to prevent other accrediting bodies coming in and stepping in and saying, you know what, we're now a- a- accredited by the Department of Education and we want higher standards than what they're doing and we recruit schools away and take them away from the CCNE. Or the AACN. And it's money. They get paid like $2,000 per school every year to accredit them. It's a fee to pay. So it's money to the AACN, which is the deans that run all the schools. So it's backdoor money, right? To an organization. To monitor themselves. All at the expense of who? The students. All right. They go through a whole bunch of things in here. They talk about the advanced physiology again. Advanced assessment. Advanced pharmacology. But it's only the three classes. We talked about that. Um, and again, ensure clinical and didactic coursework is comprehensive and sufficient to prepare the graduate to practice in the APRN role and population focus. There it is again. That's the third time that they said you got to give enough clinicals. So shouldn't they be mandated to provide the clinicals? The people that wrote this document, a lot of them were educators. Just, just think about that. And and the AACN and the CCNE were both people involved in the preparation of this document at some point in time. Keep that in mind. Okay. More repeats. Specialties. This is where they talk about specialties. This is page twelve. Specialties are designed to enhance a current role in population focus. It's not to expand your scope of practice. John Canyon said that correct when we talked on our first podcast discussion on this and corrected how I said that. Because I said you could get specialty that would expand your scope of practice. And he said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. So John's spot on when he reads this document. He was pulling me back in line. So I was wrong. John was right. Thanks for correcting me, buddy. You're exactly right. Um, Specialties here, they give five bullet items of what they are. um, You cannot replace the educational preparation in the role. So it's got to be, you know, like the CRNA or the CNP or, you know, whatever. whatever. Or one of the six population Focus. So you have to have the base to be able to get the specialty, but you can do it concurrently with it. Okay, so say you wanted to be a cardiology specialty, and there are a couple programs that do that. You can get cardiology specialty coursework that will um, enhance your adult GERO or your pediatric NP. So you could be a cardio- pediatric um, cardiology nurse practitioner specialist as an APRN with that, but you can't get a, um, you can't go outside of what your population focus would be. Does that make sense? That would expand your scope of practice. You would have to get a dual certification, which is what they're doing now by population so that you could get specialty in multiple locations and do whatever it is. Okay. That's why it gets confusing because it's, it's not a, not a great way in my opinion. All right, new specialties emerge. They need to be able to adapt to it. That's basically what they're saying here. Can do it concurrently. We talked about that. Number four, emergence of new roles in the population foci. I I don't understand. And the new roles, maybe I could see us being used in different ways. But population focus, I mean, we, we should know what the population of what we do is out there. Now, unless we're doing surgeries, maybe the population might change then. But I think we can worry about that way down the line. We got bigger fights to fight than us doing surgeries we we have a lot of training to do before we get to there but um that's an example right? It would be a new population focus uh lace again, we talk about lace characteristics of the process to be used in to develop nationally recognized core competencies at educational and practice standards for a newly emerging role or population focus are it's national, it's inclusive, transparent, accountable, it's all those warm fuzzy things that, that you know, we, we worry about um, that that it's not shady. It's gotta it's gotta be legit, evidence based. Consistent with regulatory principles, all that stuff, to be recognized in APRN role must meet one of the follow meet the following not one but all of the following criteria nationally recognized, accredited uh, nursing um, by the USDE, which is the Department of Education, or the CHIA, which we talked about professional nursing certification. It's all redundant. It's all the same stuff. Then we get our wonderful page fourteen. Maslow hierarchy of APRN role population focus and specialty which now they put that that fourth component of the specialty into that at the top of the pyramid I I guess I don't have a problem with the di- the diagram in and of itself the problem that I have with it is that at the role level it stops and falls apart after that because once you get to the population focus level um it's completely a fist fight between all the groups. And that's, that's, we're missing the target on that. We need to unplug the CNP component of this and replug it in. And that would be one paragraph back when I was going through. Sorry. People are going to hate this. You're going to want to drive off a cliff if you're driving. I apologize. It's all right. Don't drive off a cliff. Page nine, page nine, it's one big paragraph, right before titling. It's like a, a third of the page. That's the that's the part we need to fix. So far, that's the only part that I'm really even worried about. The rest of this is just mindless. It doesn't help us. Not a lot of help. Title, got it. That's a statute in every state, anyways. So it's already being done. It's not that helpful. I agree with it, but it's not that helpful in this document. All right, um have at least one APR representative. Oh, okay, so they're talking about four um, foundational requirements for licensure. This is the licensing boards, right? So the board of nursing, they're trying to adapt the boards of nursing to, um, to the, the this is the, the model legislation, quote unquote, that I'm gonna say, right? That they're trying to implement into all of the states. It's not very helpful because it's loosey-goosey and not helpful. Like, example, number seven, license APRNs as independent practice, practitioners with no regulatory requirements for collaboration, direction, or supervision. I like that. That's a goal. That's not model language. That doesn't give them the language that they should adopt. That's just, you know, a sales pitch. That's marketing material to sell a, a district or or a, a jurisdiction on adopting some language, and it's not, not helpful. Number eight, allow mutually recognition... Uh, Mutual recognition of advanced practice registered nursing through the APRN compact. So this is the only place in this document they talk about the APRN compact, which there's only three states that have adopted that. Ten years after this document was produced, there's only three out of 51 jurisdictions that have adopted the APRN compact. And they're out west and they're starving for providers. So they're willing to say, we'll take you all. That's, that's kind of where they're going, right? They're non-populated rural areas in the Northwest. Number nine, and I, I, think this is, I think this missed the mark. They say, have at least one APRN representative position on the board. So the Board of Nursing should have one APRN and utilize an APRN advisory committee that includes representatives of all four APRN roles. I disagree because if you have one APRN on the Board of Nursing, which is what we have in Ohio. It's similar to what they're suggesting here. The, the goal there is you have an APRN. Well, it might be a CNS. And they don't necessarily understand what a CRNA or a midwife does. And yet they're the one that's, that's on the board policing those individuals. I think the people that police the, the, the profession should people be people that are, for the most part, in the profession. I think that the Board of Nursing should have a subset, instead of a sub-advisory committee, I think it should be a, a second set of people that have their own autonomy within the Board of Nursing for each of the core areas. That's just me talking, though. That would be what my goal would be if I was trying to persuade a legislator to change the rules. I would want a CRNA board. That would have you know maybe one or two anesthesia physicians on that board, um, and um, you know, and, and but for the most part, it would be CRNAs that would be on that board because they know what they do. They understand the the stresses and the, the understand the, the scope of that that practice. An LPN should not be making decisions about the outcome of a CRNA. And in Ohio, the, there's more LPNs on the board uh, by far than there are, um, CNPs or any other advanced practice nurse. Okay. So that was one of the things in there I wanted to talk about. I didn't, I didn't, I don't agree with that. I think it should be more strict than that. That's too loosey goosey for me. I'd rather go farther. Now, maybe they had to, you know, as a consensus, you got to make, you have to make, uh, compromises sometimes. Maybe that was a compromise to back that one down. I don't know. I don't know the the intent of that, where they're going. Foundational requirements for accreditation of educational programs. we talked enough about that, right? We don't need to go through that. Foundational requirements for certification. So this is the things that you have to do to get certified. Certification, again, is the, the test. It's the actual test. It's you know making sure that the test is... They used a... What did they use? They used a fun word. Psycho-something. Psychometrically sound. Those are good words. Makes them sound smart. I like it. Uh, foundational requirements for education. Again, it's got to be accredited through the USDE and the CHIA. And um, it's got to be approved. It's all this redundant language. Pre-approved, pre-accredited, accredited, accredited, prior to any students, blah, blah, blah. So they have to make sure it's legit. And then they go through, and this is where page 17 already, creating lace structure and process. So lace is the structure for all of it. So what they did was they got the organizational structure should include all... Uh, representation from all of these state boards, accrediting bodies, um, which are those that are the educational programs, the educational institutions themselves, and the certifying bodies, which are the ones that give you the test. They all seem to be very, very consistent with each other, which is which is good. Um, in the least, that's not unlike a lot of other professions. So what they have here, I'm not, I'm okay with that. All right, seventeen. Page seventeen is your horse historical background. So if you're a student, you want to write a paper on something, you could get lost in these next, I don't know, six or eight pages, without hardly any problem. The last couple things in this document that, um, and I feel like I'm missing stuff. I'm sure I am, but because I'm skipping through pretty quickly. But let me go back one. Last page. Conclusion. Here we go right here. Recommendation offered in this paper present an APR regulatory model, which it's not. It's not even close to a regulatory model. Um, as a collaborative effort among and educators, accreditors, certifiers, licensing bodies. The essential elements of and regulation are identified as licensure, accreditation, certification, education. Again, the LACE thing, right? Recommendation reflects... Uh, a need and desire to collaborate among regulatory bodies to achieve a sound model and continued communication with the goal of increasing the clarity and uniformity of the APRN regulation. That's that sounds wonderful, but is that what this document has done ten years later? And I would uh, I would resoundingly scream at the top of my lungs, No, it hasn't done anything. More confusion is what it's done. We've APRN title now. Yay! All right. Two develop of. I'm sorry. Go ahead here. Uh, The goals of this consensus process were to, one, strive for harmony and a common understanding in the APRN regulatory community that would continue to promote quality APRN education and practice. Do we have a common understanding of what we do? It's not. That's not a difficult question. I mean, just go on any of the Facebook Facebook forums and ask. Do acute care NPs and FNP's um, argue different scopes of practice? I mean, with with complete anger, all caps. <laughs> I mean. I, you, can, you see it every day. You can post that question to any of the Facebook groups and you're going to have 50% of the people screaming in one direction and 50% screaming the other way. So is that a common understanding? I don't think so. I think with the core roles, it's pretty obvious. You know, I'm not a CRNA. I am not a midwife and I am not a CNS. Those are goals and, and I still don't understand the CNS thing. Somebody please explain it to me where it makes sense. But take those different core Uh, groups, yeah, it's pretty obvious, but let's, just the NP world, just the NP world, what are the, what's the common understanding of what we're supposed to do? This document did not answer those questions, and yet it is being used by academics to say it is, because it's a confusing document, and 90 some percent of the people will never pick this document up and read it, as thoroughly as I just did to you. Never will anybody do that. I mean, very seldom. You'll do it in a school project once, and you'll move on. You'll go gloss over it and say, "Oh, yeah, the consensus model. That's you know, it's uh, it's draft language that's to be used as uh, proposed language for you know future, and it's not adopted yet." But we want it because it's going to help the profession. But when you look at the actual document and you read the document, it's just it's there's so many holes in it. I don't see where it's helpful. Not yet. Somebody convince me. All right, the second bullet here with the goals was to develop a vision for APRN regulation. Well, if they were trying to develop a vision for APRN regulation, they didn't do it because I don't see any proposed language that the regulators were to adopt. It gives some good ideas to think about, and I agree with most of those, but it does not give a vision for APRN regulation, so I think they failed on that one. Okay, and that also includes education, accreditation, certification, and licensure. I think licensure, the boards of nurses, is it, oh, as frustrating as it is for us when we go through the process of getting licensed. Most of the states, I'm going to go with. Um, Probably got their act together enough to keep track of who you are, that you're licensed, that they've evaluated your, your, you've passed a certification test, you've got your transcripts turned into them, and they give you a piece of paper that says you're able to do your job and you have to come back in two years and you're continuing ads and all. I think that was probably fairly tight. The accreditation and the education, I think, has decreased the quality of both of those since this document has been written i think that the 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 need for universities to pump people through programs to keep the doors open is um is making it difficult for the accreditation bodies to actually say okay come on you're you're doing a good job but remember the accreditation bodies are mostly educators you can't just join AACN AACN owns CCNE CCNE accredits them the, the schools. The schools have deans. The deans belong to AACN. See the circle? It's a big circle, and they're watching themselves. So I'm not sure that's a safe one there. So I think the goal there of develop a vision for regulation, including education, uh, the goal for it, yeah, they, they, they've run with it. They've taken this document and said, look, we have, we, we've got population focus now. So um, what's your population? Is it, is it acute care population? Or is it geriatrics? Is it by type of person? Well, if you follow this document, it does not give enough guidance for anyone in their right mind to say with any level of confidence that there is um, a consensus on who the populations are beyond the ones that are in in this, this document. And there's not enough of them there to describe it. All right, the fourth, third goal is to establish a set of standards that pro- protect the public, improve mobility, and improve access to safe, quality, APRN care. That's a softball one. I mean, that should be go with that goes without saying. But does this document do that? Does this this organization that puts this together do those things? Did they give a set standard to protect the public? I mean, you can make an argument that um, you know by making uh, the core competencies separate and the education have to mirror those. It does that to some extent. So I'll give them I'll give them about a, a rating of a, a B minus on that one. So they does that does some of that, but it's such a soft statement that I, I don't know if it really. This should be number one, right? I mean, patient patient protection in mobility and improve access to safe, quality, APR and care should be number one. Last one. Produce written statement that reflects a consensus on APR regulatory issues. Well, they did that. They put this document together. It was a consensus of the 40 plus organizations at the time. And because it was so softball, I guarantee they read it and said, Well, it's not going to hurt me. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll endorse that. It doesn't do anything to help me. It doesn't hurt me? It doesn't help me? I'll, yeah, sure. You want my name? Put my name down. Not a problem. Oh, by the way, we're, we're going to play nice with people. All right, there's a bunch of references. And then Appendix A, I'm just going to name the appendices so you understand what is at the back of this. Appendix A is the NCSBN criteria for evaluating certification programs. So this is what they use um, to develop uh, the AANP exam or the ANCC in the NP world. Uh, This is the, the checklist that they use to determine whether those exams are appropriate. Okay, moving on. Do we need to go through it? I don't think so glossing through, and it's like four pages, whole bunch of stuff, okay, Appendix B, I don't know why that's there, I mean, other than to say that it's part of the LACE criteria of, you know, what they do to actually make sure accreditation tests are approved and accreditation bodies are, you know, worthy, I guess that's why it's there, appendix b American associate American Nurse Association's Congress on Nurse Practitioner in Economics, two thousand and four recognition as a nursing specialty. So this is when it goes into the specialty component of that document. and it goes through a, um, defining the nursing specialty. It's clearly defined, practiced nationally internationally, so it can't just be a local thing. those are those are like the foundation of that specialty section that we talked about. All right, Appendix C is interesting. This is the NCBN appearing committee members. Okay, so from 2003 through 2008, you can see the committee members that helped develop this. On average, you're looking at about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, like 12 people that made that were on these committees. And it's the same, essentially, 12 people over and over again that was part of these, this NCB. Um, this is the National Council Board of Nursing appearing committee. Okay. So this is the boards of nursing that are kind of doing this. So you'll see Virginia, Maryland, South Dakota, Arkansas, Montana, Kansas, Texas. Texas was heavily involved, by the way. They, they were in like everything. So yay, Texas. So they, they met to come up with kind of national guidelines that they could use and adopt from the, the perspective of the regulators. Okay, The cops were meeting to come up with ways to police us. Okay, And it keeps going through. There was uh, NCSBN Nancy Chornick. I don't know how to say her name. And then there was a consultant that was at every meeting that was Charlene Hansen. Be it awesome to bend her ear. God, that would be cool. Just to sit in a room, have a couple beers and say, tell us what really was going down. All right. Appendix D is the NCSBN APR and Roundtable Organization Attendee List. And you go through and you look at the attendee list. And it's a handful of... The state boards of nursing, which were all essentially part of the board that I was just, the the committees that were from 2003 to 2008 is essentially the same ones. But it was a lot of other people, a lot of private stakeholder organizations in a handful of the boards. 2007 APRN roundtable attendee list, same thing. When I look at the 2007, and the reason I looked at this one specifically was in 2007, it was right before the 2008 consensus model came out, there was 15 jurisdictions represented out of 51 um, at this APRN roundtable. So um, that's not a huge buy-in. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. That's hard to get that many people together in a room. So, I mean, so I'm giving them a lot of credit, but 15 out of 51 of the jurisdictions that they were purporting to um, try to bias or um, leverage this, these model code to, to model regulations. Um, Two thirds of them didn't show up. Two thirds didn't even participate. There's no evidence of that. Now, maybe they just couldn't come or whatever, but they, they weren't there. Okay, Um, there's some more lists and the rest of this is all just lists of organizations that participated when you look through the history they reference these so that you can know which organizations and who some of the interested parties at the committees were there and I think that that kind of rounds out this document there's an addendum here that's an example of national consensus building process to develop nationally recognized educational standards or role specialty competencies um I don't see really any help in this. The national consensus-based process described here is was originally designed with funding by the Department of Health and Human Services. So this is a grant. Somebody get a grant to do this. The process for developing nationally recognized educational standards, nationally recognized role competencies, and nationally recognized specialty competencies is an iterative stepwise process. And here are the steps. There's nine of them. I don't know, should we go through it? Let's try it, see what it is. Step one, at the request of the national organizations representing the role or specialty, a neutral group or groups of con- convenes A groups convenes. That's horrible language. And facilitates a national panel of a stakeholders. This is just how you get together and to make stuff happen. Step two ensure broad representation, invitations to participate so you get all the stakeholders and all the stakeholders to show up. So that's a good point. Three, organizational representatives serving on the national consensus panel bring and share role delineation studies, competencies for practice and education, scopes and standards of practice. So I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to show the delineation. This could be used to delineate the NP rules, acute care versus FNP, for example, um, and where those lines in the sand should be drawn. But yet, I don't know if that's ever happened. Somebody tell me. Somebody that's in the know that wants to criticize me all the time. Tell me where I'm wrong. Show me where that's been done because I've, I've looked around for it, and this is what I got. Number four, agreement is reached among the panel members. Five, panel members take the draft to their individual boards for feedback. Six, feedback is returned for an iterative process back and forth and around and around and around again. Go they go again, right seven is validation is sought from larger group of stakeholders, including organizations, individuals known as the validation panel. Eight is feedback from the validation panels returned to the national panel to prepare a final document so this is just and then the final document is um, sent to the boards represented on the national panel and the validation panel for endorsement. And once they endorse it, which is what they basically did for this whole document, so they just explained their process. And if you want to change something in this, that you would have to go through that same iterative process, which I don't think has gone anywhere. My big beef with this document, let's big picture, 30,000 view. 30,000 foot view is that this document does not provide one, the guidance in the NP world, specifically just for certified nurse practitioners to deviate what the population focus really means. And the fights that are out there between the interested uh, parties, uh, it's not helpful. And their academia is using the, the concept of the population focus As a means to make students obtain multiple certifications, and they're dumbing down their educational process to be specific towards this individual population focus. So the education is skimping down and down and down and down. One of the comments I had on the Ohio Facebook group recently was to somebody that I know is consensus model pro. Or um, is very for the consensus model, but is also an educator and is in charge of a program. And the the question that I had was, you know, in all fairness, before the consensus model, before two thousand and eight, when when FNPs were trained to do some acute care, they were trained to do rural work, like what John Canyon was trained to do. They were urgent care. They were trained to do inpatient rounding on patients. They were trained to do ER. Uh, emergent, they were trained to do family chronic illness, they were trained to do um, health promotion, they were, they were trained to broad base with more clinical hours, with more broad education. And so what has happened since then is they've narrowed it down and down and down to where I'm a product personally of you're only doing outpatient family practice and you do not, you're not supposed to go inpatient. And we're told that we're not supposed to do it. And we're led to believe that we can't do it. That is false. We can do it with the proper training. Now, in my past, I've always said with proper training, evidence of that is in post-master's acute care and cert. And I still believe that. If I was to go work in an inpatient setting, I would be going to get in one year of school and get more clinical, and I would go do my adult certification. And I still am very, very adamant that that has to happen if that's the case. Because of, I'm a result of this theory that we pare down our school. I think that's the wrong approach. I think it makes us more confusing and it makes it easier for um, administrators to say, you know what, I don't understand what the hell an FNP does anymore. Um, They don't do what they used to do. And we're coming out of school saying, look, I'm not trained to do urgent care. I'm, you know, I've lacerated a ham hock once. So you want me to start sewing people up that got major lacerations? I'm not competent to do that. I got to go get some other training. Well, we don't want to spend that money on you. We might as well just hire a PA that did some more of that when they're in their school. And they say, well, or I'll just go get an acute care NP. Well, I can't do that because in acute care my population focus was for adult or 14 up. So now there's these huge holes. And what it's doing is it's giving the opportunity for academia to be able to sell to us as newer grads or students. So that we would have to say, you know what? Oh, geez, I better get my acute care. I might as well just get dual certified and just do them both right now since I'm here. And I'll just, it'll take me another year, but I'll get it done. When, when the FNP from 15 years ago would have done all of that in their program. Does that make sense? That, that's where my main component of this. And this is one of the longest podcasts I think I've ever done. But I think it's in, that important to break this thing down and go through it because everybody wants to say, oh, yeah, the consensus model is great or, oh, the consensus model is all crap. I don't think the consensus model is all crap. I just don't think it did its intended purpose. It's a good white paper on the state of where we were and and some good guidelines of what we could have done back in 2008. But knowing what we know now, we need something better. And I don't know what that is yet. We're going to work on that. So... Guys, you can help support this show by sharing and telling your friends. You let them know, hey, there's this wacky guy that's doing this podcast. He's in Ohio and he's nut. And he's he's talking into his own phone, doing stuff. Um, You can uh, give me a rating on uh, iTunes or Facebook. You can also go ahead and use the Amazon affiliate link. It's a great way to support the show. What you do is you go to my website, thenpdude.com. The as in the, T-H-E, N-P-D-U-D-E com. Click on the Amazon banner. It'll take you to Amazon. You buy a bunch of crap, tons of crap, whatever it is you want to buy. I don't care what it is. What's the one I just saw recently? Um, uh, what's the weirdest thing? I bought a bunch of car parts. (laughs) My car's broken again. Um, I don't know. I get weird stuff all the time. Just weird stuff. Somebody likes, uh, health stuff. They buy like health food stuff. I see that one all the time. So it's probably the same person. Hopefully, hopefully more people so use the Amazon affiliate link it's a great way to support the show it kicks me a couple percentage of what you purchase I use it for web hosting I don't make hardly anything on this right now I mean it's really dry since it's not the Christmas season so I mean I'm, I'm talking like you know a couple purchases a day you guys are really slacking come on show some love here go buy some crap the other way you can support the show is to use the donate button it's on my main page same website click donate it takes you to a PayPal link you can throw a couple bucks if you want to throw me a dollar you want to throw me a hundred I don't care I'll take it I appreciate you guys doing it. It. Um, the other and last way you can support the show is if you are an Ohio resident and you would like to have a contract reviewed or you need help with something, having an uh, employer bug you and you need a nasty gram sent, I can help you out. I am licensed in the state of Ohio as an attorney. So go ahead and email me, jeff at the npdo.com. Let me know what's going on with you. We'll talk on the phone, we'll go through it, see if I can help you. I do charge very reasonable fees, but I do have to charge it because it's my time and energy. So those are the great ways you guys can help support the show. If you're working today, I want you guys to be smart, be safe, and we'll talk soon.